Toward the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, there's an interesting story. Jesus has been engaged in some serious teaching. He's just predicted his own death for the third time. And even though he's predicted his own death three times, his disciples still think that he is going to set up an earthly kingdom. They think that he is going to overthrow the Roman Empire and set up his kingdom on earth. So two of his disciples have an interesting question for him. James and John, two brothers, take Jesus aside for a private conversation. But first, they try to set him up. They say, will you grant us anything that we ask for? You would think that these guys would figure out by now that Jesus isn't going to fall for this kind of thing. And he didn't. He asked them what, what they wanted. What is it that you are looking for? Well, James and John say to Jesus, they say, when you set up your kingdom, allow one of us to sit at your right and the other to sit at your left. James and John wanted to be Jesus' two main guys. They wanted to have, next to Jesus, they wanted to have the glory and the honor. Well, when Jesus figures out what they're really asking for, he tries to dissuade them by alluding to the, to the trial and the difficulty that he's going to have to face. He talks about his cup and his baptism, and he's alluding to his coming persecution and his eventual execution. But James and John, they may not be the sharpest tools in the pack, but they seem to not care. They seem to say, Jesus, we're in this with you no matter what. No matter what it is you have to go through, we're going to be right there with you. No matter what it is, we're going to be with you. James and John, they wanted this glory badly. Now when we come to this story of James and John and asking Jesus to, to have them sit on his right and his left, we tend to think about James and John in this story. If we're honest, a lot of the time we can resonate with James and John. We think about ourselves quite a bit. And we think about ourselves in relation to being, to being in a position of prominence. We like to have recognition, notoriety. We want to be better, more important. We want to be the winner. And James and John, they're, they're people who wanted to be better. They wanted to be more important than the other 10 disciples. So they asked Jesus, let us sit at your right and let us sit at your left. We want to experience your glory. We're often like James and John. We think a lot about ourselves. But we don't often think about the other 10 disciples. Can you imagine if one or two of your friends in your friend group went behind your back like James and John went behind the backs of the other disciples? Can you imagine what you would have felt down deep inside at this betrayal? at them trying to set themselves up in a position of prominence, I guess that you'd have probably been pretty upset. 
I think you would have been pretty upset at the fact that your friends betrayed you like James and John betrayed the other 10 disciples. I know I would have been pretty upset about that. Now, think about all the conflict that this brought up. James and John going behind the back of the other 10 disciples and the other 10 disciples, the text tells us that the other 10 disciples were indignant. It's a strong word. It means that they were really, really upset. Can you imagine the conflict? I think, you know, it's not clear, but I think they, they went at it. I think they had to go at it. And I can't believe that Peter would have taken this one sitting down. Like, if you're not aware of Peter, Peter was kind of the aggressive disciple. I think that they might even come close to coming to blows. Maybe they actually did come close to blows. There had to be discord, division. I can't imagine that you would refer to this group as a, as a unified group that, follow, that are following Jesus Christ. Because James and John wanted to be at Jesus' right and at his left. And the other disciples, they're not happy about it. Think about the discord, the division, the quarreling, the fighting. They're not unified. And my guess is, is that that division would have likely grown unless Jesus steps in And he does, he steps in. Look what Jesus says. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In four sentences, in four sentences, Jesus tells all of the disciples, not just James and John, he tells all of the disciples that their focus is wrong. He tells all of the disciples that they are searching for notoriety, for power, for acclaim, for position in the wrong way. Jesus calls James and John out for their selfish and self-focused behavior. And at the very same time, he calls out the other 10 disciples for their jealousy. Jesus at this point in time is calling his disciples to unity. He's recognizing that their selfish and self-focused behavior has gotten into the way, is gotten in the way, and he has proposed, he has suggested, he has commanded a different way. He has said, if you want to be first, you must be the servant of all. In order to have unity, you must recognize that to be first, you must be the servant of all. You see, with Jesus, up is down. That's a pretty good teaching, isn't it? Great story. And so we're probably all set. Because when it comes to unity, we got this whole thing under control. Division? 
divisiveness, quarrels, fighting. We don't have any of that in our lives, do we? Certainly not here at Calvary Church. I know all of you agree with everything that's happening at Calvary Church. All of the decisions that are being made. There's no division. There's no quarreling. There's no fighting. We're all good. How about in your families? In your families? Any division? Any quarreling? Any fighting? Anybody in your family you don't get along with? How about your friend group? No jealousies there, right? No quarreling, no fighting. You see, we laugh together because we recognize that in our lives, there's at least some division in all of our lives. Why? Why the division? Why the quarreling? Look what James ends up writing as a reason for the quarreling and the fighting. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The fights and the quarrels in our lives The fights and the quarrels in our lives are a result of selfishness and self-focused thinking. In many cases, it is the selfish and self-focused thinking of other people in your life. And in some cases, it's your selfishness and self-focused thinking that causes the quarrels and the fights. This morning, Paul calls us to unity. He calls us to unity in the church and to unity in all of our relationships. So if you would, grab a Bible and open it up to Philippians chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you. And to make sure I'm not making this up, I'd encourage you to follow along in the Bible. Philippians chapter two. We're still on page 951 in Philippians, but we are now to chapter two. So we're moving along. Last week, we were exhorted to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're instructed to walk worthy. And we saw last week, we learned that we were to stand firm together in the one spirit, strive together as one for the faith, and have no fear as we do this. We learned that this was a corporate, it is a corporate effort against outside pressures. Last week, unity was on Paul's mind. This week, unity is still on Paul's mind, but his focus has shifted 
to internal unity. Philippians 2, we're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. First, Paul shares the basis for the unity that we are to have, the basis for the unity. Look at how Paul begins in verse one. He begins with a series of if statements. In the Greek, the tense and the form used here assumes these conditions to be true. If here refers to certainties, not possibilities. The word since could be used instead of the word if. All these things, all these four things that he identifies are true about followers of Jesus. Now, many of us lose our focus or we've lost our focus and we forget about what we have in Jesus Christ. In Paul's call for unity here, he wants to start by making sure we know what we have in Jesus. He starts with the basis for unity, which is identifying the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. He doesn't start with our relationship with other people. He starts with our relationship with Jesus. And look, he identifies four blessings that we have in Jesus. First, we have encouragement from being united with Christ. In the midst of life, in the midst of the trials and the difficulties of life, we all need encouragement. The word translated encouragement is the Greek word periklesis. It refers to one who comes alongside, one who stands beside us, one who directs us. Have you ever wanted to give up? Have you ever just wanted to give up. Yes, I know you have. We have all wanted to give up at one point or at one time in our life. This past week, I wanted to give up. On Wednesday, I came in, I woke up, I came into work, I met with a few guys, and at nine o'clock, I went to my computer, I opened up my computer to finish the sermon, to just do some final edits to the sermon, and I realized that I had lost four out of the five pages that I had written. Poof, gone. I literally wanted to cry. Seriously. Like, I wanted to cry. They were gone, and I had no idea. So I went through the stages of grief. And I, and I have to be honest, the first one that I had, and I think the one that stuck with me the longest, was anger. I was just furious. I could not figure out how this had happened. Gone. I just wanted to give up. Well, after stewing for a while, I realized that the best thing was probably to pray. So I started to pray. 
And then I realized, you know what? The next best thing would probably be to get other people to start praying for me and for this situation. So I sent notice to our prayer partners who then began to pray. And you know what started to happen? I started to feel encouraged. And it wasn't me giving myself a rah-rah speech to get going. It was as if encouragement welled up inside of me from someplace else. Encouragement from being united with Christ. You see, my friends, he is for you. Jesus is for you. You have this blessing. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have this blessing. Jesus is the one encouraging you. Second, our union with Jesus gives us comfort from his love. Jesus loves you. Did you hear me? Jesus loves you. Sometimes we say that so flippantly, but think about this for a moment. God himself came to earth as a man and died on a cross for you because he loves you. There have been times in my life when I've felt alone, discouraged, afraid, insignificant. And I have a little trick. When I feel that way, I often start singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Over and over again, usually very quietly. <laughs> but I sing this song to remind me that Jesus loves me. And you know what starts to happen? I feel the comfort that can only come from Jesus. Third, our union with Christ provides common sharing in the spirit. Common sharing is translated from the Greek word koinonia, which can also be translated fellowship. It's the idea of having community. It's the idea of having partnership, fellowship, community, partnership. Do you know that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you come to believe, the Holy Spirit enters you and you become engaged in community, in fellowship, in partnership with God himself and with all other believers in Jesus Christ. It's the koinonia that we have with God and the koinonia that we have with others. And what this means is you are never alone. Fourth, our union with Jesus gives us tenderness and compassion. You see, Jesus not only comforts us from his love, but he loves us with tenderness and compassion. He is moved to action because of his tenderness and compassion. Amazing compassion, infinite tenderness. This is the emotional element of God's love. There's this incredible verse in Matthew 9, 36. And in this verse, Jesus is looking at a group of people. He's looking at a crowd. And look what it says. It says he felt compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. I am so glad that Jesus doesn't look at me and say, Stupid sheep, 
Get your act together. Every one of us, my friends, every single one of us has a need, a need to be loved, a need to be known, a need to be seen. Unfortunately, too many times we forget all of the blessings that we have in Jesus. We end up being like James and John and we seek to meet that need by seeking power, by seeking recognition, by seeking acclaim, notoriety, fame. We search after these things and we miss the fact that Jesus has given us every single thing we need. He has given us encouragement. He has given us comfort. He's given us community. He's given us tenderness and compassion. We have all of these things in Jesus Christ. This is to be the basis for our unity. All we have in Jesus. But once these truths, these truths are meant to define us, but they're not only meant to define us, they're meant to cause us, they're meant to cause us to do something. They're meant to motivate us. You see, once we understand all that we have in Jesus, we are ready to hear the call to unity. We first get our relationship right with Jesus. We first understand the blessings that we have in him. And now Paul gives us a call to unity. If these things are true, then look at verse two. Then, this is an if-then statement, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. The command translated make complete means literally to make full or to fill. Earlier in chapter one, Paul already told us that he has joy because of the Philippians. He says this to us in verse three and four, but here what he's doing is he says, I want my joy filled up to the very top. I want my joy filled up to the brim. It's interesting about Paul. Paul doesn't get excited about money. He doesn't get excited about possessions. He doesn't get excited about power. He doesn't even get excited about ministry acclaim. What excites Paul is the unity that is found in brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So he calls the Philippian church and he calls you and he calls me to unity. The call to unity is clear. Let's look look at what it looks like. First, it's being like-minded. Another way to say this is being of the same mind. Now, this doesn't mean that we should have the exact same opinions or the exact same thoughts. Paul is asking for unity here. He's not asking for uniformity. Within the word uniformity is the word uniform. It has the idea of having the same look, wearing the same clothes, having the same actions. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's calling us to unity. Uniformity comes from without. Unity comes from within. And what he is doing is he is calling us to have the mind of Christ. In the mind of Christ, we have unity. In the mind of Christ, we have his wisdom and his knowledge. So first, unity is having 
or being like-minded. Second, unity is having the same love. The same love. This means that our hearts are to be set on the same thing. What would you guess that our hearts need to be set upon? Jesus, it's the easy answer, right? Everybody wins. Our hearts, our minds are to be set, have one love on Jesus Christ. Martin Nymuller is a Lutheran pastor and theologian. He lived in the middle 20th century. Martin spent years in a Nazi concentration camp. As a follower of Jesus, he was incarcerated for following faithfully Jesus Christ. After his liberation from the concentration camp, he made his way to the United States and he arrived with great fanfare in the United States. Many people were looking forward to what Neimuller would say about his experience during World War II and primarily his experience within the Nazi concentration camps. There were two reporters that went to hear him speak at one of these engagements and they left disappointed with one reporter saying to the other, you would think that after spending six years in a Nazi concentration camp that he would have more to talk about than Jesus. His love for Jesus was evident. See, Paul is calling you to me, you and me, to Jesus. The theme of our life should be Jesus. The heart of our conversation should be Jesus. Third, unity is being one in spirit and of one mind. This is the idea of being of one soul. Spirit and mind together make the soul. The Greek literally means same soul. Eugene Peterson, in his message paraphrase, says it's to be deep-seated friends. It's the idea of having deep unity, or the idea that our souls are unanimous in all that flows out of them. There's one theologian that writes, it's like clocks striking at the right moment. It's kind of a pretty picture, isn't it? like clocks striking at the right moment. This is Paul's call to unity, being like-minded, the mind of Christ, having the same love, loving Jesus, and being of one soul, united in Jesus Christ. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? That type of unity, that type of togetherness, This is what God desires of you and what God desires of me. Unity. But recognizing all the blessings that we have in Jesus and recognizing that we've been called to be unified in Jesus only provides part of the solution to conflict. We not only need to recognize all that we have in Jesus, we not only need to recognize the call that we have to unity, we must be humble people to get there. This is the key 
to conflict resolution and unity. The key to conflict resolution and unity is humility. So Paul wants to drive home this point by defining humility for us. And he defines humility by identifying two negatives that we should stay away from and two positives that we should follow. Now look, today, Christians and many others praise unity as a virtue. At least outwardly, we praise humility as a virtue. During the Roman period, when Paul is writing this, humility was not considered a virtue. In fact, humility was associated with humiliation. Either way, you ended up at the bottom of the ladder. And so Romans did not view this as a virtue. In fact, Romans sought to elevate themselves. They thought, thought and sought to demonstrate their good deeds and their actions for acclaim and for notoriety. They wanted to be acknowledged and they wanted to be praised. Unfortunately, I'm not really sure it's all that different today. I think there are many of us where selfish ambition and personal gain drive us. And too often it is found within us who are followers of Jesus, we are in this for selfish gain and for personal ambition. But to God, humility still is a virtue. And it is the key to resolution conflict and unity. So look at Paul's appeal for unity. First, the two negatives. Look at verse three. Do nothing, and you may want to underline the word nothing in your Bible. Probably not in the church. You know what? Do it in the church Bible. It'd be a good thing for people to remember. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The word translated here, selfish ambition or selfishness in some translations is an interesting word. The Greek philosopher Aristotle used this word to define the self-seeking purposes of politicians by unfair means. It seems to fit, doesn't it? It's ugly self-promotion. It's the idea of trying to get ahead through self-promotion. It's someone who is only concerned with their own vested interests. Many studies exist, and you know what? It's not only many studies. It is just common observation that American, the American public continually defines its ultimate goals in the terms of self-fulfillment. People view marriage. People view work. People even view church as a way toward personal fulfillment. People seek to realize their full potential. Why do we fight? Why do we get after each other? Why are there disagreements? Why are there arguments? Why is there discord? Why is there division? It's because of selfishness. It's because of self-focus. It's for personal recognition and acclaim. Humility means doing nothing out of selfish ambition. Second negative. Do nothing out of vain conceit. 
nothing out of vain conceit. This literally means empty glory. It speaks of a person who seeks glory for themselves, himself or herself, but does not deserve that glory. Think of all the platforms that are out there for self-promotion at the click of a button. Think of the platforms. Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Now we say to ourselves, we kind of argue to ourselves that yeah, these are good ways to keep in communication with people. I'm keeping in communication with my friends and I'm keeping in communication with my family and there's some truth to that. There's some truth to recognizing that these platforms create some level of community. But as I look at these platforms and I watch what people post, what they share in their thoughts, what they share in their ideas and in their actions, the number of people that post pictures of themselves in bikinis or post pictures of themselves flexing, this is clearly self-promotion. Vain conceit. Empty glory. Paul says, do nothing Nothing out of vain conceit. Now right now you're probably thinking of someone who meets the definitions of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Like you got that person in your mind, right? Boy, if they are just listening to Tom, we are gonna be in good shape. Because they're gonna learn that they shouldn't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't miss the point here, my friends. The message is not directed at them. The message is directed at you and at me. Because let's acknowledge all of us, every single one of us, have inside of us some selfish ambition and some vain conceit. The first step is recognizing that you have the problem. So recognize that you do do some things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And then go to the Lord and confess. Admit it and ask for forgiveness. And then ask Jesus himself through his spirit to empower you to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Jesus, through Paul, starts with two negatives for us not to do. He then switches to two positives for us to follow. First, positive, second half of verse three, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. In humility, value others above yourselves. Now, this is a tough one because most of us secretly believe that we're better than everybody else around us. You laugh because you know it's true. Like down, down, side, we secretly think we're just better. This instruction is clear. We are to consider others better. We are to view others as being superior, as being better than ourselves. 
There's a great story about this that's found in Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis chapter 13, Abraham, Abraham is in many ways the father of the faith and God calls Abraham and he calls him to go to a place and Abraham picks up and leaves and moves to a place. And throughout Genesis, there's the story of his life is there. And in, 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 in Genesis 13, Abraham and his cousin Lot are traveling and they come to some very pristine land. And as they're looking out over the land, Abraham says to Lot, Abraham says to Lot, you choose. You choose which land you want. You take your pick and I'll go the other way and I'll take the other land. Well, Lot takes the land that he wants. He ends up taking the best land. But Abraham does what we have been talking about here. He views others, Lot, as being better than himself. And you know why he does it? He does it for unity. Verse 8 says that Abraham says to Lot, let's not have any quarreling among us. It's a great example. Practically speaking, this means for you, in your family, for you in your family, you must view your spouse as being better than yourself. You must be, view your spouse as being superior. In your family, you must view your sister or your brother as being superior, as being better than you. You must view your mother or your father as being better than you. In your friend group, this means that you must view your friends as being better than yourself. At work, it means that you must view your boss, you must view your coworker, or if you are a leader, you must view your employee, you must view others as being better than yourself. And this becomes difficult when down deep inside, you think that you are better than everybody you come in contact with. The instruction is clear. The command is clear. We are to look at everyone and view them as better than ourselves. The first positive. The second positive, not only do I need to value others above myself, verse four says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. To look is to fix one's attention on with great interest. Some of us, actually most of us, need to take our eyes off ourselves and literally fix our eyes on other people. This is the point that I shared at the beginning of the sermon. Whoever wants to be first must be a servant of all. In a sermon a number of weeks ago, Mark shared with us the JOY acronym. It is so helpful, it is so fitting, and yes, it is cheesy, but it is so good. JOY, Jesus, others, yourself. Take your eyes off yourself and focus upon other people. The positives are clear. Value others above yourself not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Watchman Nee, Watchman Nee was a Chinese preacher, theologian, and pastor during the early part of the 20th century. Watchman Nee tells a story of a Chinese farmer that he knew. 
The Chinese farmer had planted rice paddies on a mountainside. And the Chinese farmer was a Christian. And as he planted his rice paddies, it requires a lot of water for rice paddies. So every morning he would water his rice paddies. And when he would come back later, he would find out that the farmer below him would break the dikes in his paddy so that the water would flow from the higher elevation to the lower elevation. Well, as you can imagine, this becomes pretty frustrating after a period of time. And he started, and for a while he took it and he just let it happen and he'd fill up his paddy and then he'd come later and it would be empty because the farmer below had stolen his water. So after a while he decided that he was going to gather a bunch of Christians together and pray about what his next steps should be. Well, after prayer he decided to make a change. So the next day, the next morning when he woke up, he went and filled up the other farmer's rice paddy with water first. And my friends, this isn't just turning on a hose. This was hand pumping the water to fill up the rice paddy of his neighbor. And then he filled up his own rice paddy. See, the Chinese farmer valued others as superior to himself. And he took his eyes off himself and fixed his eyes on the interest of his neighbor. And you know what happened? Any guesses? Maybe. The other farmer became a Christian. Why? Because in humility, not acting with, with vain conceit or through selfish ambition, but valuing others above yourself and looking out for the interests of others is attractive because it is not the way of the world, but it is the way of Jesus Christ. He has called you and he has called me to humility in Jesus. You see, there is a basis for our unity in Jesus Christ. There is a basis. Jesus has given you so many blessings. And then Paul has called us to unity through humility. My friends, this is not a difficult message. There are some messages that it, it takes a while to figure out what Paul is saying or what Jesus is saying. This one's pretty, pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward. And sometimes I wish it was difficult to interpret because then I wouldn't have to follow it. This one is very clear, and it is our tendency as we sit and listen to think about the other people in our lives who act out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, who value themselves over and above others, and who do not look towards the interest of others. And we think if they would just change, then everything would be okay. No. This one is on us. It is on you, and it is on me. And so I'd like to leave you with this application. I would like you to think about one or two people in your life that you have conflict with. The relationship just isn't right. And granted, it may be because of, because of their selfish and self-focused behavior, but it may be because of your selfish and self-focused behavior. And you can only be responsible for you. Got that person in your mind? maybe two people in your mind, I'd like you to fill out this sentence. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
but with humility, value, not others. Write the name. Write the name of the person you have conflict with in that blank as more important than yourself. Do not look to your own interest, but instead to the interest of, and write the same name. My guess is, is that slowly over time, your mind, your thoughts, and your actions are going to change. Do you realize what would happen if we all took this command seriously? Do you realize the demonstration of unity? Do you realize the community, the fellowship, the partnership that would happen? Do you understand how attractive this would make Jesus? Let's go there, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.